it's a joy to be with you continuing the 1 John sermon series that we're in. Um, as you can see, the, the, the lovely fancy microphone that doesn't require me to use my arm has broken, so I'm going to be, um, well, building some muscles in my arm this morning. Um, but I want to start today um, by a bit of crowd participation. I want a straw poll. Now, I know how when we do these things, people are naughty. They just listen for the first option, and then they just put their hands up. I don't want you to put your hands up until you've heard uh, the two options. I want The first option is, do you like to tell the truth and have the truth told to you? Or the second option is, do you like to tell lies and do you like to be lied to? So first of all, put your hand up if you, if you prefer truth. I'm thinking back to a, a games night that I played recently with some people when we played Coup which is a game where you lie about what cards you had. And uh, it's interesting certain people's hands are up. <laughs> what about lies? Who prefers lies? Yeah, I knew, thank you, Ethan. I knew there'd be a token joker that would... Of course, of course we all prefer truth, don't we? We prefer truth over lies because truth provides us with trust, with dependency. It gives us clear vision. Even sometimes truth, which is really hard to hear or hard to speak allows us to actually see the true situation. And that allows us to build on a stable foundation. Because like I said, even if, even if we see the foundation is a bit shaky, we can go in and do some work to fix it. So of course truth is better, as opposed to lies which lead to confusion, which lead to hurt, which lead to pain, which lead to shaky foundations. Is there anything worse than when you think you're good at something, so you keep pursuing it because no one's got the courage to tell you that you're not very good at things. Actually, you keep building it, but all the time it's being built on shaky foundations. It's going to collapse at some stage. And all good relationships are built on trust. All good relationships that I have in my life, I wager any relationships that you have in your life that are good and healthy are built on trust. And when we put truth and lies together, it's like a 100-meter race. And truth is Usain Bolt's that's setting the world record, racing off ahead. And lies are like me trying to race Usain Bolt, puffing and failing miserably. But as all relationships are built on trust, there's one relationship that's more important than any of the relationships we have in our lives, and that's ours with God. And thankfully, this relationship is also built on trust. And so far in 1 John, and hopefully in your life, if you um, are a Christian, that has been built, that relationship, on a steady, stable foundation of truth. And we've seen in 1 John, up to where we're going to be reading from today, we've seen almost that the, the verses have laid that foundation. They've laid the foundational truths about our relationship with God. Who is he? How can we know him? Once we know him, what do we do with the rest of our lives? How do we keep growing and, and developing that relationship? And today, the verses we're going to come to read in a moment, we're going to see that this truth is challenged. There's a group of people that used to belong to the church, used to call them brothers and sisters, in a congregation like this, that it says were put out from them. The believers that John's writing to put them out because they said, you are telling lies and you're distorting the truth about God. And therefore, we don't want you to be part of us because we don't want people to think this is what a relationship with God is about. And we're going to see what John here, as a loving father to these Christians, we're going to see what he encourages them to do. 
So the sermon today is entitled Abiding in Truth. But I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 27. It's going to come up on the screen, which I, I guess I'll move out the way of, um, so that you can read it if you haven't got your Bible. So I'm reading from verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would, not be, sh- so, so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that our relationship with you is built on truth, is built on a truthful foundation. I thank you that you give us tools to be able to notice and identify lies and distortions of this truth that seek to rob and steal from this wonderful, glorious truth. And I just pray that as we look at these verses today, help us to do that. Help us to have eyes to see, to see the lie amongst us, but also to see ever more the profound truth. And help us to, through the power of your Holy Spirit, be able to live this truth out, to be those that abide in it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at three, three points if you're someone who likes a structure to follow today. Uh, we're going to look at what is the lie. So th- we're looking at abiding in truth. That's the title of the sermon. We'll, we need to know, first of all, what was the lie that was being told? Secondly, what is the truth? What is this amazing truth that I'm so happy about and I think we can all rejoice in that we've been singing about this morning? And then finally, once we know the truth, how do we abide in it? What does this mean for us and for our lives? But first of all, let's let's look at what is the lie. So John's very clear, isn't he, in verse 26 in these verses. The whole reason he's written these verses, he says, is because there are those, those who have gone out from you that are trying to deceive you. He also, in verse 22, he calls them liars. And he ultimately calls them antichrists. So I don't know what your view it when you hear the word antichrist if you feel apparently there's a film called omen i've never seen it um but i think it kind of depicts the antichrist almost as a kind of cult villain figure maybe you think of when you hear the word antichrist someone with little, little horns appearing or their eyes turn red well actually antichrist just literally translates as one of two things opposed to christ or instead of christ john is calling these people who've gone from out within the church and is no longer part of them. He's calling them antichrists because they are aggressively opposed to Christ. 
Now, let's be clear on two things before we carry on here today, because it's really important. These people were not people that just got their theology slightly wrong. They didn't just quite get how it works with our relationship with the Trinitarian God. These were people that were proactively and aggressively teaching a message that seek to strip Jesus of his role as Christ and the Messiah. But also, the second thing we need to know is, it's not our job in this passage or when we apply it to our lives to go around seeking to find the Antichrists. It's not about individuals. It's about the message that is coming that we need to be aware of, identify, and respond to. And you see, John calls these Antichrists these people who've gone out from out uh, are now outside of the church. He calls them antichrists. And he says, you should know these people were going to come. And he says this because he describes it, doesn't he? In verse 18, he says, it is the last hour. Now, we haven't got time today to go into a, a deep eschatological argument of how the world is going to end. But why can John be so convinced that antichrist would arise in the last hour? Well, because of the, the teachings of Jesus. You see, John and the people at his time, they believed that there were three periods in time. The first period was when Jesus was on earth, his ministry. The second period was after he'd ascended and the time they were living in, the time he's writing to. And then the final end time would be when he gloriously returns. So in that sense, they were living in the last hours because they were awaiting Jesus' return. They were, if you like, in the latter half of the second stage. And Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 24, which I'll read to you. He specifically said this to his believers, to John who's writing this letter would have been amongst them. He said, in this time, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will provide great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So they should have known that these people were going to arise. These people were going to come from within their church and preach a message that was against, that was opposed to Christ, that was instead of him. They shouldn't have been surprised by this. They should have, in fact, if they were really aware, they should have been looking out for these people. And perhaps that's why the church at the time had put them out, because they had been aware, they had been ready for it. But I think it's really easy for us sometimes when we, if we have someone who comes in here today, for example, and says, I don't, there's no such thing as a God. It's all a load of nonsense. I think it's quite easy for us to identify that that's something that is opposed to Christ because they're saying a God doesn't even exist. Or if someone walks in from another religion and says, actually, there's a thousand gods and Jesus is amongst them. Once again, it's, I think it's quite easy for us to say, well, that, that we don't, that's not us. That's a different gospel that's being preached there. But I think this kind of lie and this distortion of the truth that these Christians are met with in this passage is a bit like this chocolate illustration that I'm about to say to you. And I think it's harder for us sometimes to identify. Does anyone at Christmas get those kind of posh box of chocolates? I'm not talking about the, the heroes and the, you know, the big ones where you can easily identify what chocolates they are. I'm talking about the posh little box that you have to read the little piece of card that comes with it. And I'm far too lazy to read the card. Someone's normally got it anyway. I can't be bothered to wait. So I'm just going to look at the box and I'm going to think, do you know what? That, that chocolate there is a dead ringer for either a coffee or a fudge, or a caramel. I've got three options here. I'm, I'm in. I'm not waiting. I'm going straight for that chocolate because it looks 
and it feels and it smells the same and then you bite in and it's a horrible cherry liqueur disgusting immediately repulsed i don't even think i finished the chocolate it's it's so revolting that's what i think this is a little bit like because it's harder to notice lies and it's harder to notice distortions of the truth from people that were previously part of us look like us understand parts of our theology understand parts of who we believe god is yet distort it in subtle ways that can really lead us down a path that is for another gospel but what was this lie then what was the lie that that they were telling well verse 22 makes it absolutely clear doesn't it they were saying that jesus was not the christ he was not the messiah to john verse 7 so the next book written by john as well he also says the antichrist is some of those who even say jesus didn't take on flesh now we're not going to go too far down this road but this is a kind of gnostic distortion so the gnostics believed that there was a separation between the spirit and the soul and the flesh and simply put they believed that the spirit was perfect and that was worthy of redeeming but the flesh was horrible it was corrupt it was the reason for all the bad things in the world so they they couldn't believe that some couldn't believe that jesus would take on flesh how could how could the son of god who's divine take on a corrupt flesh that just wouldn't make sense or some went down an even wackier road i would suggest of saying he was completely divine ignoring the teachings of scripture and jesus himself he was completely divine but actually he was replaced just in the moment before he was about to be crucified he was replaced by a substitute a third party that they don't name well why are these lies so important and why are they so harmful well they're harmful because they seek to bite away and aggressively remove the very foundation that we can have a relationship with god on you see without jesus taking on flesh what's our hope of salvation what's our hope of redemption from sins if he didn't pay the price for us on the cross if he didn't live a life that was perfect which was tempted and suffered in every way that we we did yet still remained firm and perfect and then took our punishment and penalty on the cross for it then how can our how can our separation from a holy god be removed it can't but also there's a second thing here which it picks up in verse 22 uh, sorry verse 23 says doesn't it you can't have a relationship with god the father so we believe in a trinitarian god the far the son the father and the holy spirit well it says if you don't if you don't acknowledge the son you don't acknowledge him as the christ the messiah then you can't have a relationship with the father never mind the holy spirit this is a fundamentally different gospel and as paul said in 1 corinthians 2 2 he resorted to preach nothing but christ and christ crucified you see this is the central truth that this lie sought to come against so in our in our in our lives i think this will come across two ways for us i think we will have people that just flat out say to you i've certainly had this in my life you are just wrong christ just historically jesus christ existed 
No one really disputes that now. There's, there's evidence of that. But they would say, he just was just a normal man. He, he was not the Christ. He was not the Messiah. I think that's easy for us to identify and to acknowledge and to courageously refute. But I think it can be a bit more subtle in our, in our midst. And what I call this is, I think it can happen by us what I call sidelining Jesus. So as I've said, we believe in a Trinitarian God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we can overemphasize the Father or the Spirit at the expense of Jesus. This might look like listening to sermons or having conversations or singing songs and making prayers that are always addressed to the Father, that never, never reference Jesus. Or perhaps in our evangelical circles, it might be more that we overemphasize the Spirit. So everything we do when we pray, everything we do when we sing, everything we do when we do sermons is about the Spirit and connecting with the Spirit. And of course, God the Father and God the Spirit are so important and we want to connect with all of God. But we mustn't forget that Jesus was clear. No one can know the Father or the Spirit except through me. Therefore, we are unashamedly at Christchurch Fairham, unashamedly and unapologetic about the fact that we preach Christ and Christ crucified, that we sing about him, that we've done that this morning. And if there is ever a time in this church when we stop preaching that from this pulpit, which I really hope we don't, then please leave. Because we're preaching a different gospel to you. But we also need to make sure, as I said, that we don't overemphasize the Father or the Spirit at the expense of Jesus. There's a reason why we, we speak more of Jesus, because that's how we know the Father, and that's how we know the Spirit. So we've identified the lie. We can see the lie, the distortion of the truth that is being said and is seen in these verses. But now we'll look at the truth. What is the truth that is so amazing that it seeks to rob and it seeks to steal from it? Well, the glorious truth that we can abide in, and I would suggest that we will do nothing else in our lives that will be more worthwhile than this, is verse 23. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. You see, they knew that. In verse 21, John says to them, I've written to you because you know the truth. You know the truth that in order to know the Father, to know the Spirit, you must know the Son. You can only come through the Son. He's calling them. He's encouraging them to stay to this truth. Remain to this truth. But we also see that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit we can access only once again through Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 says that a sign of our salvation, when we come to know God, we come to accept, we confess Jesus, that he died us on the cross and that he rose again so that we might have relationship with him it says that the holy spirit is given as a seal of our salvation if you are a christian here today the holy spirit resides in you you have access to the holy spirit who lives in you because of your confession in jesus john 14 26 also says that jesus sent the holy spirit as a helper 
everything, all roads lead through Jesus. And to what? And I think verse, verse 25 is a verse that I think we can, re- we, can, we can just gloss past. But this week when I've been preparing this, I have just been absolutely captivated by this verse. What is our, what is our relationship with God the Son, Father and Holy Spirit? It is an eternal union. An eternal union. Now you might read that verse and think, oh yeah, of the eternity to come. And absolutely, it's going to be amazing, isn't it? It's going to be glorious when he returns or calls us home. But actually that starts now. That starts the moment that you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That you enter in to not just union with Jesus, but you also enter in through that union with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it spe- Scripture speaks clearly to us how this works. So Jesus, in his time on earth, when he was speaking, John 12, verse 49, he says, I only speak what the Father says to me. I only speak what the Father says. There's a connection there. There's a unity between them. And then John 14, 26 says, the Holy Spirit teaches what Jesus has taught us. There's a wonderful union and unity that exists like no other between God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that has always been there, that is perfect, that you and I are able to participate in. Not just be accepted in, not just be tolerated. There's other faiths that will suggest that if you, your life's like a, a load of beans, you have a side of good things you do and the beans pile up there and you have a bad side. And if you have more good beans than the bad beans, you might just scrape into heaven. No. This speaks of an eternal, personal union with God the Son, Father, and Holy Spirit. This is absolutely incredible. You and I can have a personal relationship with the one who spoke the world into being. And if you're struggling maybe with the, okay, so how does this all work through Jesus then? I'll give you a little recruitment example from when I used to work in recruitment. In recruitment, you have um, something called gatekeepers. So generally, as a recruiter, you're quite low down the list of desirable jobs and jobs people think well of. Um, For good reason, I I would add, for a lot of the time. But you want to work with companies, but they don't want to part with their money. So you have to give them a reason to work with them. Now, you've got an option. Normally, companies will have a HR manager. Now, if you're you're a HR manager here, nothing I say is derogatory. We love you and we love your job. (laughs) But the HR managers don't tend to control the purse strings, in my experience, of the companies I work with. But you need, in order to get to the managers who do, the CEOs, the COOs, who do control the purse strings and will say, we'll give you a ridiculous amount of money to find us someone, you need to go through that gatekeeper. Now, I had a company I really wanted to work with in Singapore. And I used to, as soon as I got into work, I used to hammer the phones. They just could not care less. (laughs) Very polite on the phone, but just, you're not in Singapore, you're in the UK. We don't want anything really to do with you. We've got hundreds of companies. Now, I had the trip of a lifetime and went on a business trip to Singapore and managed to have a coffee with the gatekeeper, with the HR manager. It was a perfectly nice 45 minutes. But to be honest, I gave 
zero hope at the end of it that it would lead to anything. I thought it was just a, a coffee to fill the time, really. I was even more amazed when she said, I'm leaving my job, actually, in a month's time. And I was like, oh, this has been a complete waste. But actually, that coffee, little did I know, would lead to us having access as a recruitment agency to be their exclusive provider. Now, my point about that is not to boast in my recruitment skills, but it's to say that we needed to go through the gatekeeper. There was only one path in, but once we got that path in, it was unlimited to us. Now, obviously, this illustration falls down because nothing can compare to the Trinitarian God and the relationship like that. But hopefully this gives you a little bit of insight into how it works, how we have to, we have to come through Jesus. It's the only way. But our eternal union with, with God also is how we can discern the truth. So you might be sat there now answering that question. How did the believers in this book that we've just read, how do we today, how do we know what is the truth? How do we trust and discern when a, when a mystery or something's been distorted? Well, verse 27 gives us the answer. It talks about the anointing which we've received. It says, you have no need for anyone to teach you but as, as his anointing teaches you about all things. You see, this talks about a truth that isn't a truth. Wh wh when you look into the, the root of the word, it's not a truth that is truth learned through experiences. It's a truth that is learned, it, it's intuitive. It's an intuitive truth. So actually, sometimes as Christians, and what is that? What is that anointing in us? Small a anointing. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which I've spoken about, which dwells in every believer, that is what helps you sometimes discern something's not right here. And I certainly have that in my experience. I've had lots of times when I've been listening to sermons, I've been having conversations with people, and there's just something inside of me that I would say is the Holy Spirit speaking that says, this isn't right. Jesus isn't being honored here as the Christ and the Messiah. There's some funny stuff happening. And then, of course, then you turn to Scripture, of course, and you, you check, you might check with a, a trusted Christian brother or sister. Of course. But this is something inside of us. This eternal union that we have with God, which is amazing, which is breathtaking, also acts as a, a check, if you like, and a guard against falsehood and distortions. So today, if you're not in that place, I so rejoice in the Alpha course, love to feed in with the Alpha course. We had our, our first person on Alpha this week give their life to Christ. Um, yeah, I think that's worth an amen and a clap. Um, <laughs> praise God. So if that's not true of you today, if you have not confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that he paid the price for you on the cross, rose up and defeated death so that you might have eternal union with him, but also with God the Father and God the Son, then I encourage you today, just as that lovely person did on Alpha this week, wait no longer. You won't invest, you won't be involved in any better relationship than that. But if you are, as I know lots of us are in this room, in this union, then thank God for it. Relish it. Enjoy it. Dwell in the splendor and wonder of it. How often, I mean, Dio sort of mentioned this a little bit earlier on, actually, didn't he? We do. We just trudge through life. Sometimes that's because things catch us and we go through suffering or we're going through a really rough time. And, of course, we want to pastor through that and we want to seek God. But 
your union, your eternal union with God can never be robbed in that moment. In fact, that is the thing that will release you and will help sustain you through those tough times. But I know myself that all too often, all too often, I get distracted and I get thrown off the path of spending most of my time dwelling on this wonderful truth. So I encourage us, let's do that today. Let's be, let's be brothers and sisters that do that together. So we know this wonderful truth. But why, why doesn't John just end the letter there then? Why doesn't he just say, well, I've, I've told you the truth. I've said you were right, basically, to put them out of the church. Um, just get on with it. Why? Because of what I've just said. We get distracted. Our lives get busy. So what does he call them to do? He calls them to abide in it. Abide in this truth. So how do we abide in this truth? Well, abiding literally means to remain. To remain in something. So we need to remain in this truth. It also isn't a passive word. It's not a one and done. We're finished. It's an active, it's a living word. It requires us to do things. So how do we remain in this truth? Well, there's a couple of things in this passage, and then there's one thing I'm going to add to that. Verse 24 says, Abide in which you heard from the beginning. Now, I don't know if you read that and you thought, is this talking about the beginning of creation? It's not. It's talking about the beginning of them coming to faith. Them first confessing that Jesus is the Messiah. Remain in that. You've moved away. Go back. The bits and the layers of complexity and the layers of your life that you've added on, strip them away and go back to what you first received. A very simple but profound message that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again, taking your punishment that you might have access to this amazing eternal union. How do we do this? We do this by reading scripture and reminding ourselves of these truths. I'm sure you're like me. When you have a day, when you have a couple of days when you don't read scripture, I just tend to just feel grumpy. I tend to do stupid things. I do stupid things on days I read scripture as well, so don't worry. I can hear Temmie somewhere saying. <laughs> but it does help. It grounds you. It grounds you as you read scripture, as you, as you meditate on what did, I, what did I first know? What did I first believe? I love in Revelation, it calls back another letter John wrote. Come back to your first love. Return to your first love. Let's not overcomplicate it. Verse 26, the second way which we can abide in this truth, by listening to the Holy Spirit. So this doesn't mean, I'll be pleased to know and you'll be pleased to know, it doesn't mean don't listen to sermons like this where it says don't listen to teaching. What it means is, is that we have one in us that is greater. You spend 40 minutes listening to me or Duncan or another elder here each Sunday, spend more listening to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who, when we read scripture, gives us understanding. So that it's personal, goes beyond the intellectual. But he also whispers to us. Have you ever just spent a time in your, in your bedroom or wherever your quiet place is, with your hands out, just saying, God, I'm here. I want to hear from you. I'm really low at the moment. I'm on the floor. I need it. Lord, 
I need an encouragement, please. Lord, I just want to rejoice. Life feels great at the moment. But I just, I know I need to keep in this place. Let's be those that abide in the truth by listening to the Holy Spirit. And finally, we also abide in this truth when we come together as a church to meet. This is a wonderful example of very diverse group of people who may not spend time together outside of this setting normally, but are united by our eternal union with God. You know, in the Bible, when it talks about there being one body, there's only one head, and that head is Jesus Christ. The rest of us form part of that body. There's no getting away from one another. So I suggest that we embrace it and we are encouraged to, as Duncan encouraged us last week, to love one another, to care for one another. You know, how good is it when we declare and we celebrate with one another this wonderful truth about our relationship with God? I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone to prayer meetings and to be honest, I've just wanted to sleep or be at home. And yet actually hearing, so, hearing a brother and sister worshipping him with all their heart, maybe just sobbing, sobbing but bringing themselves in that wretched place before God and I'm just encouraged I'm encouraged to abide in this truth again to remain in this truth regardless of my circumstances so we all said at the beginning didn't we we said we favor truth over lies well no truth is more significant or better than the truth about our eternal relationship with God celebrate and rejoice in this union today if you live it throw everything you have into abiding in it for nothing will be more worthwhile or fruitful that you will do and as i said if you don't know this truth then why not take the opportunity to confess jesus as your lord and savior today we're going to respond today by doing two things three things actually i'm going to pray first of all then we're going to take communion together communion is something that we do which is abiding in this truth it is us actively saying as believers thank you jesus for what you did on the cross for us it is us actively saying thank you for the inheritance in the future that we can look forward to with certainty so we're going to do that and then we're going to sing a song before we close but let's stand i'm going to pray for us Father God, I thank you. I thank you so much that we can know you because of what Jesus has done. Because of Jesus' perfect life and perfect sacrifice. And because we have confessed. Nothing we have done. We've been passive in this, Lord. All we've done is confess. And yet our sinful punishment and condemnation has been taken away. And robes of righteousness have been handed to us. And not only that, Lord, we can have an intimate, personal relationship, not just with Jesus, but with God the Father and God the Spirit. Lord, help us. Help us to be those that delight, that rejoice, that dwell in this wonderful truth. And let us be those that use this eternal union with God that we have 
each and every day. Let us make the most of it, Lord. Let us not leave anything behind. Not because you need it, not because it improves our standing with you, but because we want to live lives that are fruitful. We want to live lives that abide in this wonderful truth. Help us, Lord. Help, help strengthen us where we don't have the strength. Help give us the wisdom where we are foolish. We need you and we want you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.